Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We come to you through Christ, in whom we are united. Um, we come to you through him who only makes us uh, acceptable in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you may help us this evening to be reminded of this union that we have with Christ and thus then union with you. We pray that you may be magnified in our gathering. We ask that your name may be glorified. We pray that you may be lifted up as we as we consider the part that we will be considering in our confession. Please be glorified in our meeting this evening. Uh, be lifted up in our fellowshipping with one another. And may all the things that we consider be indeed true as we would be seeing them in your word. Please hear us now, Lord, for we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me in the copies of your confession to chapter 27. Chapter 27 of the communion of saints. We've just finished <clears throat> considering the, the chapter on uh, the church, uh, which is the longest in the confession. And now we, uh, we will be considering this chapter of the communion of the saints, which comes immediately after, um, immediately after the, 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 the whole matter of the church. And um, the, this matter of the church, one of the most important things as you consider the whole matter of uh, the universal church of Christ and the local church of Christ is the communion of the saints or the fellowship of believers. <clears throat> so that's why then we have uh, chapter 27 immediately after the chapter of the church. Now, it's, it's important for me to tell uh, those that are new or gathering with us for the first time that uh, what we are going through as our form of Bible study is what is called a confession of faith. So this is not similar to, say, for example, the Apocrypha. If you know anything about the Catholics, you know Wakona Bible, now, Apocrypha, they have those other books added into the Bible, <clears throat> which they consider equal with the Bible. So they have uh, Maccabees, Tobit, uh, uh, Baruch, and all those other books, which they consider equal. If you know a group called the Mormons, they have the Bible and they have their Book of Mormons. Sindio. And they consider the, all of those to be at par with the Bible or infallible as the Bible. Now, what the church has done in order to counter uh, cults and heretical movements down through church history is they've come up with what we call creeds and confessions. What is one creed that you may know that is very common? 
Yes? The, the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed is, is, has been written as such to counter cults and heretical movements. Uh, like the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, the SDAs, and the Catholics. Confessions of faith are the same. They were written to counter cults and heretical movements so that different Christian groups have written down this is what we believe as we see it in the Bible. And they believe other things that are not quite biblical. So a confession of faith is not equal with the scriptures. A confession of faith tells us what we believe as we see it where? In the word of God. So I believe in Jesus. A confession of faith comes to say, who is Jesus? What do we mean when we say Jesus? It's not the Jesus of the Mormons. It's not the Jesus of the Muslims. It's not the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness. It's the Jesus that we see in the Bible. You get it? Eh? So, so for those who are new to something like a confession of faith, that's what it does. For people who are Anglicans, they have their, they call, they call it the common book of prayer. For the Presbyterians, PCA, they have their Westminster confession of faith. For the Baptists like us, we have our uh, 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. And so different groups have their confessions which outline what they believe. And that's what we have been going through uh, and now almost finishing um, through the Confession of Faith. So we find ourselves in chapter 27 of the Communion of the Saints. I'm going to read paragraph one, and then we will, we will discuss it a bit. We will look at the scriptural references that have been given there, and then, uh, the Lord willing, we will finish. So, chapter 27 of the Communion of the Saints, paragraph one. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and faith, although they are not made thereby one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way, as do conduce to their mutual good, both the inward and outward man. Again, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and faith, although they are not made there by one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts, and graces and are obliged to do the performance of such duties public and private in an orderly way as do conduce to their mutual good both in the inward and outward man now what are some of uh, the things that you see from that paragraph that are quite clear just by looking at it yes Our unity as believers 
and it is because of Jesus Christ. As, as the church is one, as the church is of one spirit, of, of, of one baptism, the church is one because we have one head, isn't it? Mm. We don't have two heads. We have, we have one head, and that head is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says we are united on that basis. That's the foundational basis for which we are united as believers. Mm. Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Mm -hmm. of what uh, Christ has done uh, in the graces that he, he has given us in his servant's death, uh, resurrection, and, and glory. Mm. Okay. Is there anything else that you can you can see there? Now what we would be considering in this paragraph, at least in this first one, is the foundations of Christian fellowship. Foundations of fellowship. Now, the previous chapter of the church has already granted to us that uh, the church of Christ is both universal and local. And this we have said multiple times. The way we know that there is the universal body of Christ is that there is a local expression of it. So we know, for example, Kuna Saints U.S., because saints who are wanna gather locally, sindio? So you kuna church wapi, kuna church ingine. We know that there are saints in the in Australia, in China, in in the in the UK, because saints gather locally. Otherwise, we wouldn't know that there are saints. So they claim that ah, I am part of the universal body of Christ, so I don't need to go to church really. Is a is a is a foolish claim at best and evil at worst. Because God says that his people that he has saved should gather with one another. And that's how then we have now this universal body of Christ. 
the Christians who have lived from the dawn of time to the end of time. So the previous chapter has already granted us that Jesus Christ has his people that he has saved by his blood and they are seen in the universal body which is more precisely expressed in the local body. So a local church is like this one in Siwatunaenda in Trinity Reformed Baptist Church or I don't know Methodist Church or the Presbyterian uh, Church. Those are local churches which comprise of the people of God which eventually will comprise of the universal body of Christ uh, uh, of the people that have been saved all throughout time. Now, the writers of the confession write the confession in such a manner that their words are very, are very clear. Now, the thing that comes out of now this, what we call the church, especially and more particularly, is fellowship. Is that uh, Jesus Christ has a people, and these people are what the Bible calls his body. They are his, uh, uh, his bride. So these, these, these people that Jesus Christ has purchased are the body of Christ. And as such, therefore, they are called to commune with one another or to fellowship with one another. Now, when the writers begin there by saying all saints, it's not, uh, it's not old language, really. It's that they are, they are saying that all people that have been saved by Jesus Christ are saints. So that saints are not those people who have died and, and they have gone, or, um, or, or those people who have done so many good things until we may attain the merit of being called saints. No, saints are all people that have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know that, you read the epistles of the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you read through the Corinthians, uh, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Galatians, the, the Colossians, he begins his letters by calling them what? Saints. So that the people that have been saved by Jesus Christ are called saints there. And then he says, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ. Now, no one who is not united to Jesus Christ or, or uh, uh, saved by him is a saint. A saint is the one, the, the one and only who has put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So that the writers of the confession rightly say there that all saints that are united to Jesus Christ their head, Jesus Christ is their head. And the illustration of the head there is that uh, it, it's from the head really that life flows. If you cut the head, there is no life. You can cut the hand and life will still be there, right? You can cut the legs, life will still be there. But when he says all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head is that their life flows from Jesus Christ, who is the head. And, and we saw this in the previous paragraph, uh, chapter rather. If you can turn to uh, the previous chapter, chapter 26, paragraph 4, it says, The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, in whom by the appointment of the Father all power for the calling, institution, order, or government of the church 
is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. So Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The head of the church is not the pastor. The head of the church is not the pope even. The head of the church is not anyone else really. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we were able to see all this, the scripture references there that talk about uh, Christ being the head of his church. And so all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and faith, although they are not made there by one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection and glory. Now, there are a couple of things that we are to see there. While the chapter is about the communion of saints or the fellowship of believers, the writers of the confession are careful to begin with this point where as Christians, we are not in fellowship with one another apart from who? Apart from Jesus Christ. So our fellowship really does not begin by ourselves. It's not a thing that we come and say, hey guys, our fellowship is founded upon our union with who? With Jesus Christ. So that our horizontal unity, union if you will, begins from our vertical union with Jesus Christ who is our Lord, our Savior, our God, our head, the head of the church. So, so that's, that's why they begin like that there. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, they are head. So... They are united to Jesus Christ first. Jesus Christ is their head first. He is their Lord first. He is their Savior. He is their, their wellspring of life, if you will. Um, and then we are told the manner by which we become united to Jesus Christ. Now, it's been said by theologians that there are um, is it three mysteries or two? There is the mystery of the Trinity. There is the mystery of... Yes, the, 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 the mystery of the union in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a thing that we quite seek to understand as we see it in the Scriptures. But then, really, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's a mysterious thing, isn't it? We, we can't completely fathom uh, comprehend uh, and then there is the mystery of the the the, the 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 lord jesus christ with the christian so the, the christian is united to jesus christ and it's a mysterious mysterious thing when the apostle paul says it is no longer i who live but it is who but christ who lives in me so, so that, that's that's a mysterious thing and then there's also the mystery of the believer, the union that the believers have. The mystery of the union of the triune God, the, the, the three persons of the Trinity, the mystery of uh, the, the believer with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the mystery of the union that believers have one with one another. Now, this third mystery is what is uh, being explained here. That all the saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and faith. The way anyone really is united to Jesus Christ is through the spirit of God by faith. And this is what is meant there. No one is a Christian apart from the regenerating work 
of the Spirit of God. No one is a believer unless the Holy Spirit awakens them and reveals to them the truth of the Word of God. And when the truth of the Word of God is revealed to the sinner, what happens? They have faith. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. They repent of their sins and they believe in Jesus Christ. So, so the union that we have, so, so those last two unions there are being explained. The union of the believer in Christ happens when the Spirit of God wakens, awakens the sinner or rises the sinner from the dead. And then the sinner repents and believes in Jesus Christ. They put their trust in Jesus Christ. So that the gospel really, or really the union that we have with Jesus Christ does not come from, from keeping the law of God. The, the union that we have with Jesus Christ does not come from going to church, uh, being a good person, helping people, uh, I don't know, working with your own hands. The union that, comes, that, that, that we have with Jesus Christ comes from the illuminating work of the Spirit of God in the heart of the sinner so that the sinner has faith in God. So when we preach the Word of God, we are preaching the Word of God so that the sinner may be shown. And then what happens? And then they have faith. They repent. They come to God and say, I see my sin. I repent. I, I, I believe in Christ. And then... We are told there, so, so that, that is very important because of the next statement, that although, uh, although they are not made thereby one person with him. So saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head. They are united to him by his spirit and faith, although they are not made thereby one person with him. Now, this is very important because... There is nothing new that is under the sun. This confession was written in the 17th century. 1689. Over 300 years ago is when this, this was written. Now what the writers of the confession were battling with at the time were, were the people who say that when we become Christians, it's as though we are, we are deified. It's as though we become like God or we become God as it were. You know, and what, what, what cult do you think of when you think of that? Yes? Yes? The Mormons. So the Mormons say that one day we will become gods. And so you see that what the writers of the confession are dealing with in the 17th century is not, is not different from, from, from us here in the 21st century. Um, but, but then it's not only the Mormons here who, who say such things. You have charismatics, extreme charismatism, claim that when the Bible says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's as though I am Christ and Christ is me. I don't know whether you have heard of that. But when I was in campus, <clears throat> kuna church nilikuwa na ndanga ku play drums. 
and um, there were people there who were in the, you know, what they call the worship team. And before we practice, so that we may we may sing, uh, we had this uh, this lady who constantly used to say, "I am Christ, I am Christ." So I was wondering to myself, what do you mean? So it bothered me so much, I decided, So I asked him, um, what, oh, I, sorry, I asked her, what, what do you mean that uh, you are Christ? And then the text that she brought up was that text there in Philippians, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If Christ lives in me, then I might as well be one with him. And, and you hear that language, being one with Christ is a biblical thing. But then, it does not quite mean that we become Christ and Christ becomes us. No, no. It means that the life of, of, of Christ works so much, works in our hearts, that we are, number one, saved, and number two, sanctified. We live according to the will of God. But then what she meant was, so, so I, I asked my friend, it's a strange thing. She constantly kept on saying that I am Christ, I am Christ. And, and now I started getting worked up. And you know those uh, theological battles eh, that you have with friends? I, I, I started getting worked up and telling her, now, you, now you're, you're crossing a very, uh, a very serious boundary. Because you cannot become God. You are not God. Jesus is God. You are not God. You cannot be like him even for a second. Um, <clears throat> but then the, the battle continued until we decided, let's uh, agree to disagree. I, I don't believe that you are Jesus. You are not my savior. Uh, <laughs> you know those kinds of arguments. Eh? But then <clears throat> all that to say, there are people who believe that when we become united to Jesus, it's as though he becomes us and we become him. Or it's as though he is the one living and not me. And now the implication of that is, uh, it's as though I let go and I let Jesus. I let go and let God. You know that phrase, eh? It's as though I don't have any responsibility. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of battling, waging war against sin, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, taking up my cross. Isn't that what Jesus says? That's the Christian life. But then there's a certain mixture of ideas that makes it seem as though as a Christian, I just have to stay like that. And for whatever reason or in whatever way, God is going to do to live my life for me even though with not not with such words <clears throat> the writers of the confession here are dealing with that problem that we are not thereby made one person with jesus jesus is the second person of the trinity god the son he does not come to become us because we are united with him but then they go ahead to explain what it means it means that we have fellowship in his graces 
sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. That's what it means. It means that we are in fellowship with him. When we are told that we are united to Jesus Christ, it means that we are in fellowship with, with, with him. We are in communion with him. That the, <clears throat> the, 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 the graces that he had in his mediatorial office, when Jesus Christ came, Selkam kuko mediator, to, to uh, reconcile God and man where there was enmity. So the graces that he had to be able to say, for example, pray, fast, uh, love others, uh, 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 be compassionate, those graces, the believer now is able to partake of them because of the union that he has with Christ. The sufferings that he goes through, being persecuted uh, for no reason, uh, 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 being hated for good and right, the believer partakes of those sufferings. So, uh, some of you that are in campus, when you finish and you get jobs and you go to the workplace and people are doing funny, funny things with the whatever company's monies and you say you are not going to be part of it, what will they do? They will persecute you. Um, either you'll be fired or you will be watakuita. They'll call you names or they will brand you in a certain way. And, and those are the things that Jesus Christ went through, his sufferings. Now, because we are united with him, we partake of his sufferings. We partake of his death. We, we will die one day, just like he died. But then we will resurrect, just like he did, with a body like his, a glorified body, a body that will never die, a body that knows no pain, sin, tears, uh, sickness. We will resurrect like he did. And we will be what the Bible calls glorified, Romans chapter 8. For those uh, uh, who are, let me, let me read that text. It talks of uh, being predestined. Uh, Romans chapter 8. And verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So one day we will be lifted up with him. That's, that's what the Bible says. Um, we'll be given that, uh, that same glory. Now, let's, let's read a couple of texts that have been given us there before we interact with questions and comments. John, sorry, First John, First John, chapter one, verse three. Someone read for us First John, chapter one and verse three. So you see there the saints' union with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. This is all speaking about Jesus Christ, which was with the Father. 
this is Jesus Christ, and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with who? It's with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, so the believer has fellowship with Jesus Christ if he has been saved. If he has repented of his sins and put his trust in him, he has union and communion with Jesus Christ. He is united to him, meaning he has fellowship with him. Um, John, John chapter 1 verse 16. Someone else may read that to us. John chapter 1 verse 16. So we see that um, now let me let me guide you through this context. Eh? John <clears throat> talks to us about Jesus Christ. He tells us there in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he goes ahead to tell us that uh, Jesus is it's not only God, it's that he was in the beginning with God and everything was made by him. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And then he tells us in him was the life and the life was the light of men. The light, the light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. And then he goes ahead to tell us about himself. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Um... Sorry, not, not himself, but he tells us of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist and John the Apostle are different people. Now look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you see there two things. The sinner has received Jesus Christ who came, but then, uh, it is by the activity of God. It is God who enables the sinner to do it, which, which we find there in verse 13. And then verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know the word there is Jesus Christ. He became flesh, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. So we do not only say that the, son, the word is the Son of God, it's because the text says, the glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was, be, he was before me. And then it is now out of that that we are told, For from him, sorry, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now, the all who have received grace upon grace there are those in verse 12 who are told to, who are said to be, but to all who did receive him. You, you get eh? So, when you remember all who did receive him, up verse 12, you are number in verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now, that, that simply means that uh, while we have fellowship with him, his graces are ours. We are enabled to 
be like him, if you will. We are able to love like he did, care like he did, uh, suffer like he did, um, um, and so on and so forth. Now, uh, just, just to notice, as a, by the way, the one who wrote first John is the same person who has written the Gospel of John. It's, it's the same apostle. Now let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Please notice that these are not verses that are uh, taken without bearing the context in mind. You know those kinds of arguments, eh? Where I'm going to argue and I'm saying, No, this is not such kind of a thing. These are, these are verses that have been given bearing the context in mind. Uh, what is being said before and after. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Someone read for us Philippians 3, 10. You could also read 11, 10 and 11. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so you see there, uh, two of the things that have been mentioned uh, in the confession, and that is suffering and resurrection, uh, and actually three, and death. We <clears throat> resurrect from being dead, uh, and the sufferings as well that have been mentioned there. Now, in this part, the Apostle Paul is talking about, um, is talking about how he how he was very great according to the standards of the Hebrews, the Jews, uh, that, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a, 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 a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he, he, he knew the law. As to the law, he says he was a Pharisee. He knew the law inside out. But then he says that all that he counts as loss for what? For the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Yeah? And you know, you know that hymn, eh? Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my own, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. It's based on this, uh, on this text. That the apostle has all these things that seem good. They seem great. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I am a Pharisee. As to zeal, I am a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. In other words, the apostle is saying, Mimini Bazu. If those are the things to consider, I am great. But then what does he say? Very quickly there in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, yeah? It's like what the, the writers of the confession have given us is a summary. We are united to Jesus Christ by his spirit and faith. 
faith in Jesus Christ. So, ule mse mwenye anakama akisema, "Oh, maze, look at how many times I've gone to church. Yeah, look at how many times I've, I read the Bible. Look at how many times I've helped others. Look at look at my resume." Hmm? Ukienda kutafuta job utambu utoe initangoje? Your stuff. CV. Look at my CV. Look at how great I am. Paul says, even though my CV looks like this, it's very great. I have set it all aside. And the righteousness I have does not come from me. It's not because of the things that I have done. Where does it come from? It comes from faith in Jesus Christ. Actually, it comes from Christ. And now by faith in him, I receive it. I have it. It is mine. And it is in that context then that he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we are given that also as a, as, as a qualifying factor of what we are considering here. And then lastly, we have Romans chapter 6. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verses 5. And six. Someone read for us Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and verse 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you see there that um, uh, we are told that if we have been united in him, sorry, with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The Apostle Paul, again, is saying this after telling the, the Romans, hey, we are not saved by the law, we are saved by grace. And that's how now he begins chapter 6. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So that really the, the, the thing that we are doing when we are baptizing people, pale komaji, is that we are is that we are saying it's as though you're dying the way Christ died. And then it says there in verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So so that um, the way Christ rose from the grave, when someone is coming from the waters of baptism which are symbolic, it's that they are now saying, I want to live the new life. That's what the apostle is saying here. That we too might walk in the newness of life. Then he's saying, now if we have been united with him in a death like his, so, so it's, it's, it's symbolic of being dead like Christ and rising like him. If we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The way he rose from the grave, when we die, we will be raised like him. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of, of sin 
might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, verse 6 there, if you consider it uh, properly, seems to be out of place. Why, why would he give us, why, why would the writers of the confession give us a verse that talks about uh, the body of sin being brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin? It's because we are not united with Christ in the sense that we stop uh, bearing responsibility of our sin. Unity with Christ does not mean that we should not fight with sin. At now we are united with Christ, we are him and he is us, and now it's as though we do not have any battle to wage war against. You get? So, so he's saying there that um, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we may become new creatures. What he has just told us there in verse 4, that we might walk in the newness of life so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Sin is not our master anymore. Now, when we are united to Christ, we are saying Christ is king. Christ is our, our, our master. We are now his slave. While sin was our master, we were the slaves of sin. When we are united with Christ, Christ becomes our master. We become his slaves. We do his bidding. He says, go right, we go right. Do this, we do it. You get it? Eh? Are there any questions or comments from that first section? Any, any questions or comments? I think uh, from the passages uh, we've gone through, it's, it's helpful to see that uh, we not only have fellowship with Jesus Christ, but we also have fellowship with God the Father, mm. and fellowship with God the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking about that mystery of the Trinity, uh, that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Holy Spirit is God, but God the Father is not God the Son. Mm. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, and uh, looking that they have fellowship, and uh, the basis we can have fellowship with one another is because we have fellowship with the Godhead. Mm. Uh, uh, you, you, uh, you see that uh, that important truth that that uh, we are one with them, and then we are one with one another. Mm. We, we have very strong ties as believers uh, spiritual ties uh, something uh, you say mystical something you cannot see isn't it mm. you, you see you can say you have ties with your brother because it is biological mm. or you have ties with your wife because you're, you're married you're one mm. but when you think of Christians having spiritual ties it's something that uh, as a believer you're always drawn to believers, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you, you want, you, you love them, you, you want to be around them, you want to share things, you want to share your life with them, you want to share, uh, to, 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 to know their concerns. Uh, yeah, it's something that, yes, the world cannot understand. How, why do Christians love one another? Mm. Isn't it? Like, it's something that, they can say, but they don't 
they can't really see with their naked eyes mm. because it's something it's something so deep mm. so strong so invisible mm. yeah 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 it's, it's a thing that i had <clears throat> wanted to mention that you see where it begins our fellowship begins here with being united to Jesus Christ with our unity with Christ now our unity with Christ is amplified and that doesn't mean that we are not united to the father and we are not united to the spirit it's just that the one who accomplished redemption is Jesus Christ and and he's he's on the forefront uh, in the biblical uh, uh, accounts on the one that we are united to but as Basi saying there we are united to uh, the father as well as to the spirit um yeah but then i had also wanted to say that uh, to, to mention something that is mentioned there about uh, being united to family members and, and being united to spouses um or any other unity really that people have when, when, when they when they come together being united to being united as christians which is what we are going to consider next is not quite similar because the basis upon which we are united is our our unity in the spirit if you will what the apostle paul says there in ephesians 4 we have one spirit we have one lord we have one baptism we have one father we have one hope that kind of unity that is based upon God himself. So that our unity is not a thing that we come together and say, let's be united. It's not, it's not even uh, like the ones that siblings have. They just find themselves. This is my brother. This is my sister. And that's just it. They are blood. They are brought together by blood. It's, it's not even like the unity that uh, spouses have you see a lady or you see a guy and you come together you say let's get married you marry and uh, and, and and by that covenantal unity when you covenant to get married you say your vows the bible says you become one um, um it's, it's not like that the, the, the unity that christians have is, is not like those other unities that people have because this, this especially is based upon the unity that every individual Christian has in Christ, with Christ. Uh, because they believe upon him who shed his blood for them. Any other comment or question before we move on? No? Okay, feel free to ask a, com- a question or make a comment. Um, I'm going to continue. Now, it's upon this uh, unity that we have in Christ that now, as Christians, we are united. That's what we have in the next section. So, the beginning of the paragraph starts, All saints that are united to Jesus Christ... And then it continues there in the, in, the, in, the, in the next section that we want to continue. 
and being united to one another in love. So you see, all saints are united to Jesus Christ. And it is on the basis of that unity to Jesus Christ that now they are united to one another. Being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. So you see there, Christians are united to one another in love. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Now, their unity is based upon love for one another. And where does this love for one another come from? If I may ask. The unity that believers have is based upon their love for one another. Where does it come from? Sorry? Sorry? Yes? Chumba? Umeza It comes from Christ. Okay. Philip? His command. Okay. So, uh, we have Jesus Christ who has loved us first and thus then we love one another. That's what the Bible says in you. Jesus Christ has loved us first and therefore we love because he loved us first. And then, Jesus Christ has given us the command. How shall they know that you are my disciples? Yes? By your love for one another. That's what Christ says. They shall know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And the implication there is, therefore, love one another. Um, and so, we, we are united to one another in love... And this love comes from our love to Christ. We love Christ. Christ loved us. We love him. And because we love him, he says, if you love me, you will do my commands. You will obey my commands. And his command is love one another, love, love each other. Um, and so believers are united to one another in love. And then they have union and communion. You know, there's a difference there. They are united, but then their unity is uh, is what's the Greek word for fellowship? Yes, their unity is is in a fellowship. Their unity is koinonia. It's 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 it's. it's, it's uh, it should, it should have communion. So, so we know that we are united because we commune with one another. Isn't you? Otherwise, if we never came to church, we never came for fellowship, we never came in for prayer meetings, would we say that we are united really? So, so we have unity, uh, but then that unity is expressed in our community, if you will, in our communion with one another. That's what we are told there. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces. The gifts that God gives us when we come together are expressed. The graces that God has bestowed upon us, the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God that cleanses us day after day that we are washed, we are made to look more like Christ. When we come together, 
we we experience it sindio if 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 i wrong my brother and god is working in him to to be more gracious to be more forgiving the graces of god are working in him when i ask him for forgiveness he'll forgive me and that's what we experience when we when we commune with one another being united in christ let's consider the texts that have been given us there ephesians chapter 4 and first corinthians chapters 12 and 3 so let's begin with ephesians <clears throat> ephesians chapter 4 as 15 and 16 this is a text that we have already considered uh, in our morning sermons through the book of Ephesians someone read for us verse 15 and verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 4 by speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head that is Christ 16 So what we have here is both uni- union and communion uh, <clears throat> being described to us. So again, these are not verses zenye zimepuliwa out of context. This is one of the things that makes me love the confession. The verses that are given to us are given in context. They they bear in context what the apostle is talking about from verse 1 to the end. And what the apostle has been talking about from verse 1 is the unity in the body of Christ. Uh, that now because you have been saved we are told to walk in a manner that is pleasing that is uh, in, in accord to the calling with which we have been called with all humility gentleness patience bearing with one another in love and, and that word love is given us there at the end of verse 16 we are told that there is one body eh? um there is one spirit there is one hope there is one lord there is one faith there is one baptism there is one god and father of all and it is in this in this way then that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit that's what we have there in verse 3 because we have one spirit uh, one body one spirit one hope uh, one lord one faith one baptism one god now because of that then we are told that god has given gifts in his church the apostles the prophets the the evangelists and the shepherd teachers and because of that uh, god has given those for for what purpose to equip the saints to make the saints uh, equipped for ministry that's what we have in verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of christ so the saints have gifts that are equipped through the teaching and preaching of god's word now when they are equipped they are equipped so that the body of Christ is built up so that the gifts and the graces are used for the building up of the body of Christ you hear how that language is biblical eh? when they say we are in communion with one another through the gifts and the graces it's because of that and then you're told it's until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. I mean, that's why the body is growing up, that we may grow into maturity, to the fullness of Christ. Um, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. We, we will talk about that on Sunday uh, in the evening uh, service. Uh, tossed, every, uh, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And then it is in that context that the apostle says, rather speaking the truth in love. Now we, now we are united in Christ. We come together. We speak to one another. Only the truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And it is this truth that we speak to others, to one another now, as members of the body of Christ, in love. In love. And then it is by this then that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. We, be, we, we become more and more like Christ when we do this. That's what it simply means there. And it is in Christ that the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, you hear the analogy of the body there. When every member of the body is working properly, the apostle says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And you hear that language there in the confession. Being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. The things that God is working in us through the ministry of his word that the shepherds and the teachers bring to us they make us not only united, but uh, in communion. Not only in union, but in, also in communion with one another. And we help each other, each other in, in, in the church, uh, in the body, uh, through the gifts and the graces that God has given us. We have some more text there. First Corinthians. First Corinthians, let's begin with chapter 12. And the verse that has been given there is again <clears throat> to talk about the gifts and the graces that we've been given and to show <clears throat> that those gifts and graces are given for our communion, our fellowship with one another. So verse 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the gifts that God gives in the church, you know, leave, leave alone the debate of uh, speaking in tongues and uh, the prophets and all that. That aside, any gift really that God gives in the church, the Bible says it's given for what? For fellowship, for the common good of others. So you can speak in tongues all you want, but not alone in your home. Because the gift that you're given is for what? For the common good of others. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now let's, let's go to chapter 3 of this same book. Chapter 3, we have verses 21 to 23. 
Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So then, no more about mom, about me and Moses, they're being dogs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word of life or death, or the present or the future, everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Mm. So, we have the apostle telling us there, this again is the Apostle Paul. He says, No one um, should boast in men. Then he says, For all things are yours. Now, who is he speaking to? Who is he speaking to? Corinthian the Corinthian church. He's speaking to the believers in Corinth, uh, in the Corinthian church. He's telling them that all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, again, no one verse is given us here. Evo to at the out of context, prove a point. No. Even these verses are given in context. What's the context of chapter 3? I take a break from telling you. You guys have... Uh, Bible readers, you read the Bible. Tell me. Yeah. You must have read First Corinthians. What is the context of chapter three of First Corinthians? There had arisen division among the church members. Mm-hmm. And some were saying we are following Paul, others are promised. Mm-hmm. And so Paul here in this um, says that. Um, um, especially in light of what we are now discussing, mm. um, we think that in Wako, yet isn't resulting in Zenu, all of them are given for your own good. Yep, yep. So the context there really is there's division in the church, and the division is when you know Mina for Tasifas, when you know Mina for Paul, when you super spiritual, Mina for Yesu. Paul is saying, uh, really, everything is yours. The, 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 the Apollos is yours. Uh, Cephas is yours. Paul is yours. Everything is yours. Christ is yours. You can have him. They are given there for your good, for your unity and community, for your union and communion with one another. Is there any comment or question before we consider that last section? Yes, those things, education or, or our family members, those things are important, but they should be launching pad talking about Jesus Christ. Because what John is saying here, John and Asema, we've seen him. We've seen Jesus Christ. We've heard from him. 
And so we proclaim also to you. And the reason why we do that, anasema, so that you may have fellowship with us. Isn't it? So, so, so if we are only talking about worldly things, that doesn't qualify to be fellowship, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the context, the central thing has to be Jesus Christ. As we, as we move now to the last section that we have there, let me, let me say that um, now, so far, at least for those that have been here as we have gone through their confession, you, you are able to see, see that is very mistaken. I mean, they are so mistaken that it's a wonder really that someone can say such a thing. Why? Because, number one, Christianity begins where? What is the origin of the Christian faith? We've already considered this is not a trick question. What's the origin of the Christian faith, of Christianity? Jesus Christ. Christ is the originator of the Christian faith. I submit to you that Christ is the originator not only from the New Testament, but from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When God tells the woman, uh, is it the woman? Sorry, let me confirm. When God tell, uh, gives the curse there in Genesis chapter 3, he says, uh, 3.16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Uh, sorry, sorry, verse 15, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now this is for the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise your head. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who is the offspring there of the woman? It's Jesus Christ. Christ is the seed. Uh, the seed. If you trace uh, that statement forward, you'll see it's the same seed that God promises Abraham. And it's that seed that uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that that seed is Jesus Christ. So that the origins of whatever we call Christianity, this faith in the God of the Bible, originates with Jesus Christ. Really, it originates with God himself by giving the promise of a coming Messiah. Now, why am I saying this? It's because when someone says that Kanisa ni Royako, or one thinks that they can be a Christian and not go to church, what we call going to church, 
not fellowship with other Christians, really, either they don't know or they're just evil. They just don't want to obey God. Because if you know what the Bible says, you're going to see that it is unmistakable. The fact that Christians are in communion with one another. They are in communion, first of all, with Christ, their Lord, their Savior. And by implication, they commune with each other. They fellowship with one another. Now, I'm saying this because the next part grants us the obligation. It tells us that it is our duty to do it, that God commands it. Now, look, look at it there. So you've just read that all saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and faith. Although they are not made there by one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged. Now, this is the last part that we are considering. And are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way, as do conduce to their mutual goods, both in the inward and outward man. So we are told there, that it is the obligation of the Christian to fellowship with other Christians. It's not a thing that uh, they can just decide to do or not to do. God requires of them that they fellowship with other Christians. The idea that you have the church in your heart, we should throw that outside the window. Because the church is the people of God. Now, the idea that one can be a Christian and a lone ranger, uh, that's, that's not a biblical thing. You can't be a Christian and then, uh, you can't be a Christian and then, uh, when you do something, Sorry? What else do, what else do people say? When you do something wrong and then someone approaches you and asks you of it, like, that's how people speak, Sindio. But then, as we have been seeing, really from the Bible, there's no such a thing as personal faith. Uh, indeed, our faith is personal because we are the ones who put trust in Jesus Christ. But the moment we believe in Jesus Christ like this, that faith becomes both personal and public, private and public. Because when Jesus Christ comes, unfortunately, or fortunately, he will not come for me alone. Sindio, he will, the Bible says he will come for his bride, his church. So we're told there that um, they are obliged to the performance of such duties. It is their duty. They, they, they are obligated. That's what the word obliged there um, uh, uh, means. They are obligated to the performance of these duties. The duties of communing with one another and using their gifts and graces for the good of others. It is their obligation. God requires it of them. 
sorry, requires them of it. And then we are told there it is their duty in public and in private. Now, the exercise of your faith must be uh, both uh, <clears throat> for, uh, for, for the public gatherings of God's people and the private gatherings of you and your other saints. You must use your graces for the good of others whether you're meeting publicly or you're meeting privately. Now, you must use, you must commune with Jesus Christ both publicly and privately. So, so the implications of a statement like that, public and private, is our communion with Christ is both public and private. Our communion with other saints is both public and private. The, the use of our gifts and graces is both publicly and privately. So take, for example, pastor like me. I don't only use my, I should not only use my gifts publicly, I should also use my gifts privately. When I meet with other brothers, uh, we pray together, we read the word of God, we do those things privately and publicly. That's what it means there. And then we're told in an orderly fashion. And that, that term order is a thing that many in today's church don't know about. Eh? We have turned the spirit of God to be the spirit of confusion. Eh, back and forth. You know those things, right? You know them. I know them because eh, that was my kind of faith. And then we are told there, as do conduce to their mutual good, as do work or help to bring out. That's what the word conduce means. Yeah? Help to bring out uh, or to benefit others, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Both for our own edification and for the edification of others. Let's consider the verses that have been given us there and then we'll finish. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Someone read for us verse 11 and verse 14. Two verses, verse 11 and verse 14. Verse 11. <clears throat> Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So you see there, and really, this is just like in kama, it's like the tip of the iceberg. 
to be given those two verses. Because if you know your Bible, when the Apostle, especially the Apostle Paul, writes about the doctrine, the things that we believe, what does he end with? He ends with the way that we should live. So it'll be a doctrine, 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 doctrine. And then he says, therefore, because of all this that I have told you now, live like this. Uh, live your life in light of all this teaching that I've given you. This is how you are to live. And that's, that's what he does here in, uh, the, 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 to the Thessalonians. He tells them, therefore, I've told you all these many things, you know, especially here in chapter 5, he tells them of the day of the Lord and all that. And now he's telling them, therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up, just as you're doing. Continue to do it. Verse 14, he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In other words, he's saying, this is how you live the Christian life. You're patient with others, you admonish um, the idle, you encourage the faint-hearted, you help the weak, you, 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 you encourage one another, you build one another up. It is the obligation and the duty of every Christian to be in fellowship with other Christians. And that, for their good. For their good. Then we have there Romans chapter 1. Is it? Romans chapter 1 verse 12. Someone read for us Romans 1, 11 and 12. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 to 12. For I long to see you that I may, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. I mean, it's, it's very clear from that language. The apostle is longing to see these, um, these saints. Look, look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So, so he longs to see them. He longs to be with them. And he tells them that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. You cannot be a Christian and not be in fellowship with other Christians. That's, that's a foreign thing in the Bible. Christians are in fellowship with other Christians. Now watch the movies that... Kunaizi movies zinatombi about the first century Christians. movies. You have the Bible movies. Now you have the other movies that tell us about the people who lived immediately after the lives of the apostles, so that you have people like Polycarp, for example. And you see the way the Christians live with one another. Is, is, um, you, re you read church history and see the way believers live with one another. It is unmistakable that these are people of one hope, one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one father they, they they are united and their unity is seen in the way they commune with one another the way they they do love one another let's go to first john first john and chapter three
Let's have someone read for us verses 17 and 18. So you see there, look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see that, eh? A statement like that automatically rules out the idea that one can be a lone ranger Christian. How, how can you hear a verse like that and, and think, ah, I'm Christian, but I don't need other Christians. Or I don't need others. I can be a Christian by myself. Because we know love like this, that he laid down his life for us. Really, Christ laid down his life for his people, not for his person. Christ did not lay down his life for me, me alone. Right? He laid down his life for us, for his people. And that's what the apostle is saying there. And we, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for the other Christians that we are in fellowship with. And it's, 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 in, it's in that uh, context then that he says, if you have worldly goods and you see your brother in need yet you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in you? Hmm? Let us not love, he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And, and, and we know that uh, the little children here are not little children like this. If you read the book of 1 John, you see John constantly calling the believers, my beloved, my little children. It's, it's a way of endearing them. Um, and that, that's, that's what he does here. He says, to see pendane kwa mdomo pekeake, let us also love in deed and in truth. And that, that we then, we see, but it is our obligation to, to, to be in communion with, with, with others yeah? for the mutual good of others so that others may benefit from, from us. And then lastly, you have Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Someone could read for us from verse um, 9. Uh, you see the same thing there, that um, the Christian is called to do good to everyone, really. The people of the world as well. But especially to who? To those of the household of faith, those that are believers, <clears throat> those that he is in fellowship with. 
Now let me say here that it's very it's 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 very this is a very important matter because of the way the Bible has been written. And uh, we have said this before, but let, let me just remind you the Bible was not written to individuals. You know that, eh? I can't take this Bible and say, this Bible was written to me. To me as in me, me. The Bible was written to the people of God as a whole. That's what you have with the apostles. That's what you have with the prophets. When the prophets are going to tell the people of God, do, do they go to Deno and say, Deno, this is what God tells me. Is that what they do? Is that what they do? If you know the Bible, you know they stand before the people of God and they tell them, Thus saith the Lord. God is speaking to you, his people. Not to, to you, individual A, no. To the people of God as a whole. So, so when the letters are written in the New Testament, um, they are written to who? To who? To the churches. To the churches in Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians, the Colossians, the Philippians, the, the, the Galatians, the Corinthians, and so on and so forth. So this matter is particularly important because of that. Number two, it's important because of the mindset that people have today. And uh, we will see this, we're going to see this, uh, I think, next week. Yes, yes, we will see this next week. But while we believe in capitalism, we believe that everyone has a right to their own space, their own goods, the 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 their themselves yani and everyone has, has has a right to own property and to have privacy uh, as such uh, the christian faith grants that we must be in communion with each other so so, so really one of the effects of capitalism ni individualism you don't want to be bothered. You don't know your neighbor. But that's not Christianity really. Christianity does allow for me to own my own Bible, to have my own house. It does grant that. But even more, it promotes community. Love for fellow brethren. Love for fellow man even. Um, so that the way people think today really needs, and, and, and not just people, but Christians, it needs us to, to be biblical Christians. Now, the reason you have many people going to churches today and they are not members of those churches is because of this matter here. It's that important. The communion of the saints. People don't quite believe, those who call themselves Christians, they don't quite believe that Christians should be in communion with one another. One of the reasons we emphasize that every believer 
must be a member of a local church is because of this right here. This is one of the reasons. Because the Bible commands us to be in communion with one another out of that foundational aspect of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. Because we believe in Christ, God calls us to commune with one another. Because we are united to Christ, God calls us to be united to one another. So if, if you're here and you're not a member of any church, uh, you know that you are disobeying God. Is there any question or comment? <laughs> okay. of our gifts and our graces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Got notice said eh? that we are not we, we are not just gathering formally as such. It's also that we are to be uh, involved in one another's lives for encouragement um, so that we may help one another in the Christian faith to know those that are in need and so on and so forth. You see this in Acts chapter 2 when the believers uh, increase. Uh, we are told that they have everything in common. Um, that really should be our attitude as the people of God. I'm not telling you about church membership to, to scare you or to, <laughs> to coerce you or or even to require you to be a member of Trinity Reformed Baptist Church. Uh, but really, I'm telling you so that you may be in obedience to God. Um, the God whom you profess to bow down to. Sindio, you have many people who claim to love God and to bow down to Him, but Really, it's, 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 they have what we call practical atheism. On an issue too, as though God has not told them what to do, or God does not require of them certain things. Your public ministry should be like, it's like an 
iceberg. It's just the tip of the iceberg. But deep down, it's a Christian is submerged in the fellowship with the Lord. And I just want to watch now to be able to express it out of that if it does not start from the heart, it will be very difficult. You may have the form of it, unfortunate that um, you have many who say they love the Lord but uh, because it's because um, as, you, as you rightly say out of the heart flow the well you know the heart is like the wellspring of life flows the issues of life really their profession that they love God is not seen in the way that in the way that they now live with others while it is actually possible to live with others as though you love god but then as you say there uh, it's, it's 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 all a matter of the heart I've already mentioned some practical implications, but what other practical implications do you think are 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 here? I've already given you one. Be a member of a, of a church. Fellowships yo kwenda church peke yake pamoja. Sindio? It's also uh, calling your your fellow brother or sister and knowing how they are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fellowship is not simply words, isn't it? It's mm. also shown in action. Mm. 
So simply like Fakatu Tunaongea we never do anything mm. It's translated as well Into, into actions mm. Next week Lord willing We will consider the specific aspects Of this communion Of saints mm. Specific duties of fellowship any other comment or any question I'd like to close with a word of prayer let's pray Father we thank you for your good to us your good so that you allow your word to come to us we would have been doing uh, anything else this night but it has pleased you to allow us to hear of these wonderful gospel truths, uh, especially of the communion of saints. We pray that you would help us to take heed of your word, uh, to be faithful to uh, fellowship with others, uh, to um, know that our union with Christ uh, demands our union with his people. We pray that you may help us to be careful in the way we think about such things, especially living in such a, an individualistic uh, world. We pray that you may help us to be uh, careful to consider what your word tells us and to bow down to it. We pray that you may be glorified in our gathering this evening. Please warm our fellowship as we continue to interact with one another. May this teaching really solidify what we, what we do here. That especially your name may be glorified and that our souls may be fed. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.